0: Hey, good morning. It's Patricia Murphy. It's Monday. This is Seattle Now. We are nine days into 2023. Have you given up on your New Year's resolution already? Have you even made one? If you're considering a change, UW emeritus professor Michael Vidiello has a suggestion for one thing he says can do it all. There's
1: a product that can improve your concentration, sharpen your memory and planning skills, help you maintain a healthy weight improve your mood, improve your sex lives, and decrease your risk of accidents and possibly of developing major depression, diabetes, cardiovascular illness, cancer, and Alzheimer's disease. Does that sound like a good deal to you?
0: Keep listening if you want to start 2023 on the right side of the bed.
1: Basically, I'm going to wake you up to the importance of sleep.
0: I'll talk with him in a minute. But first, here's what's coming up this week. The whack of a gavel will signal the start of the state's legislative session in Olympia today. Lawmakers will consider dozens of bills during the 105-day session, including legislation that would create a cold case unit specifically aimed at solving cases involving missing and indigenous people. Attorney General Bob Ferguson supports the proposal, which nobody's attached money to yet. The special unit would be part of the AG's office. Lawmakers are also considering legislation that would impose a 10 cent deposit on beverage containers. You get the money back when you return the bottle. The proposal is part of a larger bill aimed at eliminating package waste. Four previous attempts to pass a bottle deposit bill have failed. But if you want practice, just head down to Oregon, where the bottle return laws have been on the books since the 70s. And if you've got a concert on the books at Climate Pledge Arena, great news. All event tickets at the arena now come with free public transit passes. You can hop on a King County Metro or Sound Transit bus, the light rail, the streetcar, the monorail, even water taxis. Regardless of what event you're going to, you can find the passes live in the Seattle Kraken app. Sleep. It's critical for our mental health. And when we don't get enough, that can cause a lot of anxiety. And this time of year, when we get just a bit more than eight hours of sunlight, those precious hours of downtime can get more easily disrupted. And that's a problem, according to sleep expert Michael Vitiello.
1: Well, one of the things that can happen is because it's so dark in the morning, uh, if you have the opportunity to sleep in, it's easier to do that. Many people are sensitive to the dark, sensitive to the absence of light, more specifically, and find it easier to sleep in. And if you start doing that, your sleep patterns can slip the timing of your sleep can become uh, broken up or variable. And that's really the, the problem. The problem is not getting a little bit of extra sleep in the dark, but the problem is your sleep drive kind of shifts and you may have difficulty falling asleep and your sleep then becomes more variable. And one of the cardinal rules of maintaining good sleep health is to as much as possible maintain regular sleep times.
0: This is really interesting. So we sleep differently during this time of year because the light has shifted. Now, this isn't a joke. I really am curious. What does a good night's sleep feel like? Do we know if we've had one?
1: Usually you do. Um, It's the absence of recognizing any problems with your sleep. But really the bottom line, and let me expand on that. Uh, we do know sometimes when we wake up, we do know if we've had a restful or restless night. We do know if we've gotten up to go to the bathroom, whether or not we've fallen asleep immediately or it's taken longer. We do know if we wake up earlier than we want to. All those things would feed into our perception of poor sleep. What constitutes good sleep is really the sleep that one needs to function during the day. We use it. We use a functional definition of sleep because sleep is a highly variable biological process. What my sleep uh, that's normal and functional may look like may not be what someone else's looks like. So for example, we vary in height, we vary in shoe size, right? Those are biological. We also vary in what's normal sleep time for individuals. Uh, So that although the population average is seven hours, adults can range normal sleep from, say, six to eight or as much as nine, if you start getting outside that range, you start to see uh, breakdowns such that there's increased uh, illness associated with those either very short or very long sleep times.
0: I'm really interested in something you said at the beginning of the answer there, which is the perception of our sleep versus our body's reaction to the length of sleep we've had. Tell me the difference between those two and what it means
1: for us. Well, perception is a personal evaluation of factors. And uh, let's say two people can get the same objective sleep but feel very differently about it. So someone can be very sensitive to the fact that they've awakened a couple of times. Someone else, not so much. If you're uh, someone that has an insomnia-like condition and you worry a lot and you have anxiety about sleep, Uh, you're going to be very sensitive to wakefulness and view that as much more of a problem whether it truly is biologically or not.
0: We've been talking a little bit about how our lack of sleep or even our perception of our sleep can impact our mental health. What is actually happening to your body
1: when you sleep? Well, uh, a lot, actually. Uh, First of all, you have to realize that sleep is an active process, even though we experience it passively. There's a lot that goes on in your body. You're not like a car, and you don't turn the key and the car goes off and nothing happens until you turn the key again for the car to go on. Um, Without sleep, uh, you will not have health. Bottom line is, think of it as, since your body is a biological engine and your mind, your brain is a biological engine, it needs time to regenerate. It needs time to do repair work, to increase muscle mass, which is one of the things that happens during, it's associated with what's called slow wave sleep, which is the deep sleep we have in the first half of the night. Uh, You also do, um, your brain processes information during sleep. Uh, We experience that as dreams, (laughs) but actually your neurons are making decisions about what information to further incorporate into your memory. Uh, there's been a lot of research that looks at the specific sleep stages and specific types of memory and how your, uh, your brain and sleep, sleep needs to be normal in order for your brain to process that information. You disturb the sleep patterns at night, you compromise the ability to recall the information the next day. So sleep is doing all of those things, um, and probably a few more things that we don't know. Your brain goes through this complex series of what we call sleep stages. It's not just one way of being, but multiple ways of being that cycle in a very specific way. You have a 90-minute cycle between very deep sleep and REM sleep, and then you begin that cycle again, and you have about five of those during the night. Uh, If you disturb those cycles, that's a way to disturb sleep, and it will be felt by perception the next day but it will also be measurable in its impact on your cognitive function
0: let's talk about what happens when your sleep is affected during these months
1: the short term we all know what the short-term impact of sleep problems sleep disturbance or inadequacy is your thinking is a little fuzzy Uh, You may not feel as sharp as you like to. Uh, You may feel physically sleepy during the day and it can intrude, so you might nod off in more boring moments. Uh, Your mood can be very affected. Uh, Sleep is intimately interactive with anxiety and depression, and so you could find yourself being a little grumpier or a little down. Uh, And that happens whenever we experience just a single night's sleep, uh, sleep problems. Uh, you can imagine what that can be then over weeks. Uh, and uh, sleep problems, well, sleep deprivation is a cumulative thing, so that the longer it goes on, the worse its an impact.
0: Two years ago, Seattle was ranked the most anxious major metropolitan region. How often are challenges with sleep related to anxiety?
1: It's hard to quantitate the number, uh, but certainly anxiety is a significant part of people's experience of insomnia. So if you have insomnia, you're likely to have an anxiety component to it. Uh, I like to talk about the way that's expressed in, in terms of busy brain. Hmm. That people have a very active brain at night, and the anxiety components, you worry about things during the day with your anxiety. Well, if you wake up in the middle of the night, you've already expressed this. You've know, you said, well, I'm going to be awake here, and this is good, and uh, so I'm going to worry about it. Well, you don't. If you do, you're letting the anxiety continue to propagate the insomnia. And one of the things that we try and teach people to do, and in cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, it's quite successful. We can block that process of anxiety uh, helping to disturb sleep because you get into a downward spiral. So uh, rather than allow you to continue to use to visit those anxious thoughts, we'll teach techniques like get yourself a little notebook, keep it by your bed, If you have some anxious thoughts and concerns, write them down. You haven't lost them. You'll be able to come back to them uh, and you can do it during the day. You can even schedule worry time. to look at your notebook and to muse on those problems, but you don't necessarily have to muse on those problems while you're asleep. Another way to interfere with that uh, is uh, through either some kind of relaxation technique, either a breathing technique that I like to recommend to people or uh, some people like visual imagery. You know, you pick your, pick, a, pick your happy place, whether it's a forest glen or a little cabin in the woods or a beach or whatever. And that's very individual, by the way. You know, for some people, uh, hot sun and sand underfoot is not a relaxing image. Others want something like a mountain brook or something like that. So uh, when working with people, you want to make sure that you, as much as possible, Individualize these approaches so that uh, they get maximum benefit for that individual.
0: So visualizing something that is calming to you, trying to keep your brain out of that anxious space, exactly. while you bridge this time in the middle of the night. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You
1: you you find your happy place, whatever that might be. It might be the seashore with crashing waves. Might be a babbling brook, and then you imagine it. And you go there in your mind and you 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 stay there in your mind, and you imagine different aspects of it, and again it's the kind of thing that will trigger the biological underlying relaxation
0: you know it's funny because I automatically start to when I wake up in the middle of the night because I like to say I say I have no regrets until it's three a m you know and I wake up and automatically I will start counting backwards from a hundred, and if yeah. I do not if I mess up the order, I have to restart. Mm-hmm. And it just is enough sometimes to keep me in this space long enough to fall back asleep.
1: Just so. I mean, the old Rive's tale of counting sheep yeah, <laughs> is, is an example of visual imagery. You know? Now, why people would find sheep jumping over a fence relaxing, <laughs> I don't know. But again, it's like uh, 99 bottles of beer on the wall. Yeah. It's just, it, it, it blocks the thoughts.
0: Yeah. And, you know, before I let you go, we have been talking a lot about, you know, what good sleep is. We haven't said how many hours are ideal for people. And I want to end on something else that you said, which is your sleep pattern is individual to you. So how do you know if you've gotten (laughs) enough and you're doing the right thing?
1: Well, you really have to. Examine the constraints, and if you have constraints, you know, there is this thing where people uh, willfully restrain their sleep because they have commitments, they're working a second job, that type of thing. Uh, One way to judge that is well, if you've gone on a vacation and you have the opportunity to sleep. you know, without all those constraints, what is it like? And you get, a, and you can get an idea that way. <laughs> you can get an idea uh, by the published data from uh, the various organizations that say the average adult and the average older adult, so anybody twenty and above, um, the average sleep is seven hours, <laughs> not eight, but seven. However, recognize that there's a range there that's perfectly reasonable, and so if you're somewhere between six and nine. I think you're doing fine. Uh, If you're outside, if if you're shorter than six or longer than nine, I'd be concerned that there's something going on. And I'd either watch that or talk to a physician about that. Because, again, from population studies, we know that those are associated with uh, much higher levels of morbidity and mortality. And so, you know, that's some of the ways you can judge it. Uh, We do know that sleep is fairly individualized and we know that data from twins. For example, twins have similar sleep times. Identical twins have more close close sleep times than fraternal twins. So there's a genetic component to it uh, and that means it's going to vary from person to person.
0: And of course, if you are still having trouble, there are lots of professionals out there who can
1: help you out. Absolutely. If you have concerns, particularly if your daytime function is challenged or compromised, you should speak to your uh, healthcare practitioner or you should consider contacting a sleep clinic.
0: Michael Vidiello is a sleep expert and professor emeritus at the University of Washington. Really great to talk to you. Thanks so much.
1: My pleasure, Patricia. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for listening to Seattle Now. Today's episode was produced by Caroline Chamberlain Gomez. The show is also produced by Vaughn Jones. Claire McGrain, Jenny Cecil Moore, and Brandy Fullwood. Matt Jorgensen does our theme music. Seattle Now and KUOW Public Radio are members of the NPR Network. It's an independent coalition of public media podcasters. You can find more shows in the network wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Patricia Murphy. See you tomorrow.